Hello, welcome to the Honest Wargamer. I'm your host, Rob. Today, I'm going to be talking about the Battle Scroll update from Games Workshop. Battle Scroll update is a... Hello, welcome to the Honest Wargamer. I'm your host, Rob. Today, I'm going to be reviewing the Battle Scroll update from Age... Oh, no! Hello, welcome to the Honest Wargamer. I'm your host, Rob. I'm joined by the Twitch chat, and today... I'm going to be talking about the Battle Scroll update from Games Workshop for Warhammer Age of Sigmar. We've smashed this. That's perfect. Perfect intro. So if you are watching this, I'm going to be going through the updates and what they might mean for the game as a whole. They happen every three months, or they kind of happen every six months, but they kind of work either in conjunction with the GHB or in the interim between them, and that's a six-month period. So this is the update. Okay, we'll be talking about the couple of rule changes that they've done, and we'll be talking about whether or not we think that's successful or not successful. Again, and this is always something to uh, say that's super important, if you're just a very, very casual, chilled gamer who plays one game every six months, this almost has no effect. It doesn't ruin your army, it doesn't ruin anything, don't worry. And the changes that they do do, sometimes... <laughs> the changes that they sometimes make will... will... Uh, have a massive effect, but only on a very top-end wedge of uh, skill expression, which sometimes isn't going to mean that much. But it's going to make you feel things, and hopefully I can make you feel things. So that's what we're going to do together. As always, I'm supported by everyone on the Watch Gamer Patreon. Let's dive straight into the information. Thanks to the Twitch chat, you're all wonderful. Let's go. So the first thing to talk about is the meta. If you are new to Age of Sigma or new to gaming generally, what happens is, is lots of people play at tournaments, and because there are 26-plus armies, what happens is you develop this amazing rock-paper-scissors-like mechanic called the meta. And this is where some armies are represented a lot, like Slaves to Darkness being the most popular army you'll play against, and some armies are almost never represented. This also means that when you have something like Slaves to Darkness, which have high armor saves and are good in melee, you get what's called a combat meta. The conversations about what a meta currently looks like is always up for interpretation and prediction. This is why people who write great lists are very, very smart, and they get to make these really cool plays, and they wow people. Or people take what we call off-meta lists, which are lists that either don't perform well or aren't very popular, and then they do something pretty crazy with it. As well as armies, also units fall into being on-meta, as in popular and used a lot, and off-meta. A good example of on-meta would be Lumineth Realm, Realm Lord Sentinels, a unit that would be off-meta. Oh, wow, what is even off-meta nowadays? Um, I guess a Merc Knob with a Belcher banner from Cruel Boys, I guess? Something like that, um, generally. So, Cragnos uh, <laughs> is definitely on-meta, I think. So that's what a meta looks like, and that's what a meta means. Yeah? On the Age of Sigmar stats, which are not the same as Games Workshop stats. Games Workshop stats are not done quite as well. Uh, they're scraped from, like, league games and um, one-day tournaments, so they're not as effective as people like us, uh, because, well, we just try harder. Um, and so our stats are here, and you can find them on thehonestwargamer.com. So what does that generally look like? In our stats, for this GHB exclusively, although you can really bore down, for instance, if we want to, which we do want to, we're going to exclude mirror matches so you get a kind of slightly nicer look at how the game looks. There's only two armies which are an issue. That would be Big War and Lumineth Realm Lords. Lum Lumineth Realm Lords at 56%. Games Workshop don't necessarily hit that. They actually put Disciples of Zincha at 60% win rate and Gloomspite Gits at a 57% win rate. Now, that's not actually wholly accurate, uh, because, as you can see, they're not here. It's 52 for Gloomspite Gits. But if you do want to get really gnarly, 
like and one of the things that's really interesting about stats if you really want to get into it is this positive win rate potentials battalion usage and everything else if we were to look at gloom spike gits they are fairly problematic if played in jaws of mork okay so they have a 62 percent win rate so games workshops version of the stats don't don't let you have a look at how powerful an army is if you're t only playing a certain sub faction for instance if you're playing with uh trogs not only are you a powerfully beautiful human being yeah you are also uh, only got a 49% win rate. So you're kind, sweet, funny, interesting, and bam, 49% uh, win rate. So you're perfectly balanced in all ways, including uh, your love of trogs, which is perfect. So Jaws and Mork are more of an issue than trogs are, okay? So that gives you a little bit more ability to bore down on this information. So worth looking at when you want to look in, when you're talking about the battle scroll, when you're talking about the meta and everything else. It's worth it's worth talking about. So uh, Lunareth Realm Lords are a real problem um, uh, in the game. Not a huge problem. Not anywhere near as much of a problem as the game has been before. They're at 56% win rate. That's a percent over what we consider to be acceptable. Uh, but they are very, very, very good. There's also another system to look at this, which is ratio-based. But we can do that in a whole other video. doesn't really matter. But that's effectively what a meta is. And then anything underneath 45%, we consider to need a bit of a help. So Seraphon need a bit of a help. But we do have a new book in the summer. Iron Jaws at 43% and Soulblight Gravelords. And they've got a new book which we'll be reviewing very soon. So that's roughly where everything else is. So anything else maybe needs uh, maybe needs some buffs if you want it to, but it's sat in a very nice place. This is actually the healthiest the meta has ever been. It's in a really solid place. Okay, and that brings us in to a look at the changes that they've made to change this meta and what they are gonna do. Anyone in the game can do, uh, apart from Osiarchs, until the new book. Um, and what this does is it allows you to return any slain models on a 6+. plus. Now, many of uh, the new army books and many of the new strong abilities allows you to rally on a 4+. Plus. And that's something that we've seen as a bit of a problem, especially if you talk about things like Gloom Spike Gits, although it's actually really been a massive problem in the Fire Slayers book, where you've had two Flame Keepers and you've used slain, uh, slain models to buff up the Flame Keeper's ability to buff up the rest of the army and then retali uh, rally models back into that unit. Now, there's also a generic um, uh, unique enhancement that you can get for this General's Handbook, which allows you to have a Galician Champion and once per battle can issue the Rally Command up to three times. The Gloomstrike Gits, as an example, can also... Uh, issue this rally command up to three times which is important so what's changed previously if i lost 10 models and they all had two wounds each and i could rally them all on a four plus if i roll 10 four ups i could return 20 wounds that's been changed the maximum i can ever return now is 10 wounds so one 10 wound model or five two wound models that's the maximum i can do with each rally command that i do however if I'm able to issue the Rally Command multiple times in a turn, I could do multiple stacks of 10, so up to 30. Gloomsway Gits is a good example of this because they do Rally on a 4+, and they have a heroic, a heroic action which allows them to return up to uh, do it three times. And it, because it's a heroic action, um, and even the Rally Command can be done in every person's turn, over the course of a battle round with Gloomsway Gits, you could return up to 60 wounds. Um, and with uh, and and you can there's some other combos that you could do some stuff with there as well. So it's been a bit of a nerf to rally generally. No more can you return two two Puskal Blight Lords in the unit, although that's not really that popular anymore. You can't return 
I know, 10 out of 15 Blood Knights, uh, for example. Or maybe Marathian the Bow Snakes, the ability to uh, return a bunch of those Bow Snakes on a 4+. Although you can still return 5, which is a third of the unit, and you can do 5 in the next turn. So you can you can return two-thirds of the unit in one battle round, which is a significant points introduction. Ultimately, I think Rally is one of those really cute little uh, rules that they decided to put in. They thought it was quite fun. And many of us have become a little bit too addicted to something which really probably shouldn't be put in the game. It's one of those really powerful abilities that doesn't really make much sense in many, many ways. Why are Carriage and Overlords, for example, who are sky pirates, rallying much better than a Nighthaunt model, which is a ghost, which is full of magic and gets off the ground. It's very weird. It's a very weird combination. Um... So this is a change I am happy to see because I guess it does something. Although actually what it does do is it pushes for more elite units to be rallied because they're more effective, Thunder as an example, versus uh, more horde units like a unit of Moon Clan Stabbers. And it makes much more sense that you would rally a bunch of Moon Clan Stabbers than I guess you would a unit of, of Sky Dwarfs. But here we are. It feels like an odd death mechanic or slash healing mechanic that you would see in, let's say, Sylvaneth or uh, in, I don't know, Soblike Gravelords than you ever would find in some of the other books that have them, which I think is uh, very, very weird. Anyway, uh, it's good that it's changed. It's not a great change, um, in my opinion, and it's still very effective in the very efficient and highly elite units, which actually kind of makes it more of a problem. So as a balancing mechanic, it's got worse, not better, in my personal opinion, and the change I would have liked to have seen would have been it changed to a 6+. plus. The change that it was trying to address was Rally being too good. And I don't think it's done that. So that's what it was trying to do. This is what I think it's done. And uh, I'd love to know what you think. Okay, so the next exciting change is to the universal, art, universal, universal artifact, the Arcane Tomb or Tome depending on who you are. So this allowed you to take an artifact on a character, obviously not allied characters, important to point out, and what you could do is make them a wizard. Okay? That's important. You could never do this on unique units, so if you have Sigvald, you can't give it to Sigvald, but you can give it to a Lord of Pain. So they are, now they've added some restrictions to it. Okay? You can no longer have a wizard take it, so you can no longer have a one-cast wizard, and you turn it into a two-cast wizard. Okay? Fine. Uh, you can no longer do it to a priest, and then you can no longer do it to anyone from the corn sub-faction, uh, or the corn faction, sorry. Okay, so the corn one's very easy. Corn is meant to have magic, and therefore um, they've taken that away. Weirdly, they haven't addressed that in Courage and Overlords, uh, Fire Slayers, or Dispossessed, all of which are dwarfs which I think are meant to not do magic, because they follow the old ways, and if they do do magic, that makes them, well... The best faction in the game. The Chaos Dwarfs. But, so they haven't addressed that, which is weird. So I'm not really sure what they're doing there. Is this a game thing? Or is this like... Because there's some heavy ludo-narrative dissonance, to quote my friend Pershaw in the chat. Um, but the wizard one is so you can't have a two-cast wizard. Because I feel like they thought they pointed a unit. Let's say a Warsong Revenant, who we saw a lot. We, they pointed it so that it had enough casts and enough spells at the points value it had. So they didn't want it to have another cast and make it more effective. Okay, okay, that's what they were trying to achieve. With a priest, what they didn't want to do was double stack efficiency. They didn't want someone to be able to do a priest. The Lord Relictor was one of the, probably the most popular ones for this, right? So, the Lord Relictor is a priest and very efficient, and then also was a wizard and then was double efficient? Insane. 
That was absolutely crazy. So they wanted to stop that double efficiency. That makes sense. And I understand. Okay. So the, but if you do have someone that's not those things, they can still become a wizard. But the next restriction they put in is that they're only able to do arcane, uh, sorry, arcane bolt, which is a mortal wound spell. Yeah. Or mystic shield. No longer can you pick spells from the spell law. No longer can you pick generic spells. So there's another way to kind of condense it down. Okay. Um, and then they can cast one spell and they can unbind one spell. So effectively what they've tried to do is reduce the effectiveness of having or being able to choose a character that shouldn't have been a wizard into a wizard. The problem is they didn't really understand efficiency in line when they designed this. Uh, what I'm trying to talk about is the when you have a very strong unit that has already a very strong existing ability. We're going to take a Battlesmith from Fire Slayers who has an ability to do a 4-up rally. If you make him a wizard, then he's also able to do Mystic Shield, which is plus one to save spells. And that is absolutely incredible because, uh, sorry, plus one to save rolls, sorry. And that's absolutely incredible and is the most efficient and effective spell in the game because it changes the maths on many units, especially when you can do it on hero character models. That's also very effective as well, um, like a Frost Lord on Stonehorn, for instance, uh, because then he goes from a 3-up save to a 2-up save, and then with all-out defense and also Finest Hour, you have a what we call save stacking, which is very, very effective. So that's very, very... Uh, that's good that you can still do that in your army, but it's bad that Games Workshop didn't understand what was happening when we were talking about being efficient in line. Uh, so they've they've actually made that worse, not better, because you no longer can make you can no longer make units uh, wizards, sorry, more effective. For instance, many of the Zinch casters are a single cast wizard, so you can no longer ca make them cast three spells. You used to be able to have a Lord of Change and be able to make it cast three spells. You normally didn't, but you could, which makes sense because he's a Lord of Change. That's what he does, he casts a bunch of spells. No longer can you do that, and that feels very weird. Uh, and instead, you can just make a dwarf, a wizard, who also can do other cool stuff, which is strange. So it's, uh, it's a very strange change. It doesn't fit in narratively. And actually, it makes wizards worse. And it makes, non, it makes units that weren't made to be wizards and now wizards even better. You're also able to cast endless spells, which is really, really effective, um, especially when combined with the command trait, the generic command trait, um, uh, Master of Magic, which allows you to re-roll casts. So the generic command trait plus the artifact makes you still a more effective wizard and able to cast endless spells than some wizards that you pay points for. So this update has actually reduced the effectiveness of wizards in many, many ways um, and hasn't helped. And so, and all of Age of Sigmar 3, this has been true. This has been a problem for the whole time. So while they did try to address a problem, they've actually just made that problem worse. There we go. That's perfect. That's the perfect answer. We've nailed that. There you go. Hope that helps you out. So the first change and kind of like the major change to any of the factions outside of our generic changes is to the Uruk Warclans, but specifically the Cruel Boys. Cruel Boys not been doing great, but again, if we look at the Wargamer stats, not doing the worst, uh, as you can see here. Cruel Boys sat at 46% win rate, which is some of the best they've ever done. And this is because they've been able to get a variety of multiple stacked uh, buffs over the past few months. They made it so the Swamp Caller Shaman could cast spells and also be able to poison weapons so that they do more mortal wounds than because uh, previously they weren't able to do spells as well. 
Great little change. We love that. That's nice. They started to reduce the points on units even more in what I call the race to the bottom. This is where the War Scroll isn't very good, but because Games Workshop are tied to a uh, paper production system, they rarely change rules because that means the books are less valid to sell you. Um, and so uh, instead of changing the rules, which make units much better, what they do instead is they just reduce the points. So eventually you get units that should be super elite or hyper elite, um, and then they just get so cheap that then that becomes a whole different problem, which is kind of interesting, but we can talk about that another, another time. But th there has been two changes to the Cruel Boys roster, and one of them is a nothing burger, but one of them is genuinely very exciting. And if you're a Cruel Boys player, this is legit. Like, this is super legit. And this is that you can do two dirty tricks instead of one. Now, I've heard from some of my playtester buddies that if this doesn't work, the next update, it goes up to three dirty tricks. If that doesn't work, then it changes to four dirty tricks and you can, re and you can repeat the dirty tricks. Okay? And then if that doesn't work, you're just going to get it so you can do a dirty trick every round. Um... And that's gonna that's gonna be the process of trying to improve the, the army wholesale versus giving gut rippers a four up armor save. Uh, but this is a legit good change. This is legitly good. This is great. Um, you're probably always gonna make it so you minus one to wound in the first battle round anyway. Uh, you then also uh, got a change to one of the sub factions so you can't be targeted outside of twelve inches, which is also really good. Apart from all the units that can move inside twelve inches, then shoot you. But we'll ignore that. Um, and then so that's that's good. So now you've got. Minus one to wound all the time, and then you can do uh, the ability to move some units, like, um, and then maybe do an alpha strike, but you can't really do that, your army's not that fast. Um, and then, uh, or make it so units take d6 mortal wounds, or whichever your other favorite dirty trick is. This means you get to choose the, you're always going to be minus one to wound in the first battle round, great buff, plus actual dirty trick that you'll take, so... A massive positive. Uh, and then the other change they've done is to the Gut Rippers. Gut Rippers are uh, one of the launch units for the um, Cruel Boys when they were released at the start of Age of Sigmar 3. And they are a wicked unit. Let's narratively remind ourselves of what the Cruel Boys are meant to be. They are sneaky uh, jungle and swamp fighters. They uh, they snatch uh, people like from the forests and the mists. They are the, the terror that you see in the forest and the mist in all of those kind of jungle movies. That's what they are. And they, uh, they're a horrible, horrible, evil, nasty faction that use a lot of sneaking. They have scare shields, which is kind of like their symbolic um, shield, which a lot of YouTubers enjoyed painting when it got released. There was some, there's some great paint tutorials on them. They're pretty fun. Um, and uh, they changed it. So previously you had to roll 2d6 against a unit's bravery, and then and then if you were successful, you rolled like a dice, and then you eventually were minus one to hit. Very different to Luminous Rumble, so just minus one to hit. Or like New Sinesh, which is minus one to hit. Or um, uh, Moonclan Sabers, which is just minus one to hit. Like, so. Uh, but they couldn't have the, uh, the orcs that lived inside the mist and uh, Jungle Shanked you be just flat minus one to hit against everything. Instead, you're only minus one to hit against everything in melee versus not range stuff so only melee and then it doesn't apply against heroes and monsters so any heroes and monsters are not scared of their shields and therefore not affected by them which is weird i would have loved to have seen what they're trying to do here is they're trying to improve the survivability of cruel boys that's what they're trying to do and instead giving them a four up armor save uh, characteristic would have been absolutely the correct thing to do in my opinion. So overall, for Cruel Boys, massive buff from uh, this, from their being able to do two dirty tricks. Love that. Love that. Let's go. Big thumbs. Uh, Cruel Boys change. Sad.
which is sad. But that's okay, because, like, that, like yeah, that's great. That's fine. Okay, so we're going to talk about some little elements before we talk about the points from the core rules which have changed in your games of Age of Sigmar and are quite important. The first one is a straight flip of decision-making from G-Dubs. Can an individual unit contest both an objective? Individual unit, by the way, does not mean a single model in a unit. It means a singular unit. So it can still have multiple models inside of it, but it's a, like a one unit. Uh, can, can can it contest both an objective and a terrain feature? And the answer is yes. The answer used to be, until yesterday, no. Completely changed. No real reason as to why. Some people in the chat seem to think that it's because it changes some grand strats and other things around. I would personally rewrite those grand strats because they're terrible anyway. Uh, but anyway, there we go. That's flipped. The other thing to remember, uh, well, the other thing to remember and know now is they've also changed... Uh, how you gain control of terrain. So when you gain control of terrain, it's number of models within three inches of that piece of terrain. So it's like an objective, but you can now, uh, yes, you control. You can control it with a unit and also an objective. That's crazy that that's changed. But also, um, it used to be that you could control an objective and then you could walk away from an objective. So you could like plan a little flag on it, but that's my object. That's my sorry. You used to be able to control a bit of terrain, plan a little flag on it, but that's my terrain. I'm going to grab that and then just walk off and then just have flags everywhere and be the king of all the terrain. Can't do that anymore, right? Now you can only control terrain if you are next to the terrain. That's it. So also an important, it's within three inches, not wholly within three inches. Uh, so that's the thing to remember. That's it. Super simple. That's terrain control. Those are the core updates other than obviously the arcane tome and the rally changes. We also had some points up changes. Uh, points up, points up. Yep, yep. We had some points changes, points up changes uh, to different uh, armies in the game, but not all of the armies, because as we know, if we don't touch on any of those armies, then those armies are perfectly balanced in every way, as is every unit inside their book. So the Lumineth Realm Lords um, have had a points update. There was some changes to Teclis, specifically uh, when he can unbind an endless spell. It's now been changed to start the hero phase, so you can't do a series of casts and then unbind your own endless spell, specifically portals. Uh, thank you to Mark in the chat uh, for pointing that out. Uh, they did also uh, clarify um, how the spell ignore and being able to ignore endless spells works for his aura of uh, Selenar, uh, which is uh, good. It made it so that it's only enemy wizards. Um, it may have omitted that previously, but I think it was always worded so that you were never able to do what we call the techless machine gun. Anyone that was doing it was doing that badly and wrong. Uh, and they've also changed one of the battle tactics as well. Um, uh, so it has to be four different wizards, which again, I don't think was worded as specifically had to be four different wizards. But either way, whichever side of the argument you're on, it's now four wizards, which is great. Uh, so we love that. And they also did some clarity about techless and casting roles. But that's just for people who don't get super into it all the time. Okay, so points changes. What do they do? What is the most common unit in Age of Sigmar 3? It is... 20 sentinels it's actually two units of 20 sentinels stood next to each other in techless uh incredibly common we see them all the time probably the thing we see most of as well is nurgle knights um we see them a lot as well okay so what have we seen as changes uh we've seen techless go up 20 points now even when techless wasn't being taken in what we call the lumineth castle two units of 20 sentinels some wind charges um, and the, like the and we covered this already on YouTube, and you can go watch the, that army masterclass. We also would see 
um, tech lists also being included in like your metrica lists. So you'd see it with Stone Guard and you would see it with Avalanor. So tech list is just an incredibly efficient piece. We also saw it with a uh, tech list combat build that we saw recently where we saw just a ton of Wardens uh, see play with no spell portals. So just charging in a big board, fighting everyone. So that's what we've seen already. Um, and so what points changes did they make? Well, they put Sentinels up 10 points. Um, not as much as Bulgors, who went up 15 points. Uh, Bulgors have just come out uh, in the Beast of Chaos book. They've had no time on the tabletop. Um, however, Sentinels have had a lot of time on the tabletop. So what does this add to a... And, and Teclis has gone up 20 points. So what has this added to... Uh, uh, what has this added to the kind of classic uh, Teclis castle list well it's added uh, about what did we work it out as being i think it's added something like 60 points or 70 points uh to the list because you would take tech list who's 20 you would take uh, 40 sentinels of so 40 so that's your 60 you take a unit of wind charges so then that'd be 70 so this does mean that maybe you can't fit in an endless spell maybe this means you can't fit in an extra unit um yeah so 70 points roughly what is the major issue with Lumineth? Well, that's a great question. If you listen to some of the... like, I've had done an interview with Matt Goldsborough. It's on Patreon if you want to go check it out. Um, and we, he talked about the Techless Castle. Does really well with it. Um, and we talked about this a lot. And the main issue is the Helon sub-faction. Helon uh, allows you to get extra shots on your units if you get within six inches of the opponent. Uh, and so this means that you take a unit of, let's say, 20 Sentinels, which are able to normally do 20 shots, and now they can do 40 shots. They still do mortal wounds on fives. They still do everything else. So the 10-point um, the increase doesn't stop the fact that they actually shoot twice as well in one sub-faction, which is significantly different as an uptick in efficiency versus being 10 points more expensive. So Helon would have been the correct way to address this and just change it so that it could only be wind charges, uh, which is kind of the battle line unit for that, because it's, it's effectively kind of like a shooting speed uh, sub-faction. So that would have been the right change. I agree with Teclis going up points, um, although he's so useful in that army that uh, like it's kind of awkward that you're like, okay, if I don't have Teclis, because he does incredible damage as well. Right? Incredible damage. Searing White Light is an AoE 18-inch mortal wound spell that affects every enemy unit on the board and potentially does D6 to mortal wounds to all of them. It's nutty. It's absolutely nutty. Um, so uh, Lumineth uh, wasn't addressed in the rules way in which it needed to be addressed. Instead, they've added about 70 points onto its meta list, which is a significant hit. You will hear Lumineth players saying that, but I still think this is probably an A-tier army, probably... Uh, one of the best armies currently in the game. Uh, there are some mitigating factors why you might see their win rate go down, and that's got everything to do with their brand new enemies. Beast of Chaos and Corn. It's Corn because of the spell ignore, Beast of Chaos because the ability to shoot and fight them off board, uh, which means the Sentinels can't hurt them. Uh, so overall, not a good change um, to one of the top meta armies, but maybe the new books will solve that anyway, so that's quite interesting. Okay, so Beast of Chaos, which is a brand new book, has seen points changes and it's also seen rules changes, which is pretty interesting. We're going to talk about the Doom Bull and the Bulgors first. There was a kind of, uh, there's an alpha strike list or a, a very strong deep striking list that you can do with Beast of Chaos, where you take a unit of six or nine Bulgore, you make it so they deploy outside of nine inches. Oh, sorry, outside of seven inches. They get plus two to charge, uh, which means they're on a five up re-rollable charge, and then they just hammer their opponent. Doom Ball also really strong as well. 
Those Bulgore, though, are glass cannons. Uh, they get hit back uh, pretty hard and then they die. But they decided that this combo was strong enough that they were going to increase the points on Bulgore by 15 points, more five points more than Sentinels, uh, and the book's been out like a minute, like maybe two. Uh, which is pretty crazy. Uh, and the Doom Ball up points as well, which feels a tad unfair is what I'm going to say. Bulgore now uh, cost uh, almost as much as 10 Chaos Knights, which you see all... Uh, sorry, it's 5 Chaos Knights, which you see all day, every day, uh, which is pretty interesting. Um, so that's the Bulgore change. Bit of a shame, in my personal opinion. I think the Bulgore were fine. So not, not a drama there. Now, they did change the Bestigore, and this is pretty interesting. Let's talk about the rules change they did for Bestigore uh, before we talk about what they did with the points. So Bestigore used to have an ability where if their opponent that they're in combat with did all-out defense, they got plus one attack. Games Workshop thought that this was too strong, and so what they did was they changed it so that you get plus one to wound if someone uses all-out defense. Sorry, all-out defense, not all-out attack. If they use the all-out defense, you got plus one. You got plus one attack on the best of gore. Now you get plus one to wound on the best of gore instead, which is pretty good because that extra attack was pretty strong because you got the ability to get a lot of rend on the best of gore. Uh, so plus one to wound though is still a, is a nice buff. It's just not as good a buff as it was previously. And for this. For this, they reduce the cost of the Bestigore down by 20 points, which is pretty crazy because the combo I just talked about before, um, uh, the combo I talked about before where you would drop a unit outside of seven inches and give them plus two to charge, right, is the combo when you use it with Bestigore. You do not use it with Bulgore. You use it with best decor instead. And why do you do that? Well, a buffed up, well, previously it cost you 660 points for a max unit of 30 best decor, but now you have it on, you have it for 600 points. They have 60 wounds on a four up armor save and they rally on a five up. Now, of course, rally has been nerfed a little bit, so it's not quite as effective. You can only return five best decor each hero phase, but you know, 10 over a battle round is a third of the unit, ultimately. Um, but so they've kind of side-graded the best of gore with the kind of weird change. But uh, we have only got, uh, we've got that combo being even cheaper. Best of gore were kind of discussed as not being very good, and that's turned out to be absolute bollocks. They're an amazing unit, incredibly strong, very effective, great in combat. Um, in my opinion, best of gore have got better because they're cheaper. So there's that, okay? Great conversation about the side grade slash slight nerf, but 60 points back on your list in a fairly cheap army. Like, it's not bad for the best of all. I promise you. I think that I feel that that's pretty decent. Uh, the other change they made was the cockatrice. So you can't do multiple cockatrices. Um, so if I fail the roll for the cockatrice, can I roll again for the same unit with a different cockatrice? Uh, the answer is uh, no, you cannot. So only one four up chance to make it so your opponent hit on sixes, but you're still affected by the ability. Um, uh, which is the change as well. The other change that they didn't put in is they didn't change how spawn work. Uh, specifically, I can't remember what it's... The, the, blah, 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 spawn. There's a name for it, but I forget what the name is. But it's some name. They haven't changed how the spawn work, which is a problem. Uh, I talked about this on the Stat Center a few weeks ago. Uh, you can stack the spawn, uh, which is bad. Uh, and they didn't address this, which is uh, Morgarite spawn. Thank you very much. Yeah, however you spell it, that's what it is. The Morgarite spawn, you take them in units of three. As soon as you get them on the board, they individually deploy. Hasn't been changed. Obviously, don't buy Games Workshop spawn, obviously. Uh, but with that not being addressed in this Battle Scroll update and the Beast of Chaos FAQ being out, 
you're going to be able to build yourself some pretty great spawn lists. So that's great. Sticking with Chaos, we're just going to look at the points changes for Slaves to Darkness. The Ogroid Theridons went down 20 points, which is actually a pretty high percentage reduction for the Ogroids. They are what we call a glass cannon. They're not a brawler unit, but they can be very effective. Mark a corn, go in and smash face. 20 point cheaper is great for the Theridons. Eternus got cheaper, still trash. Demon Prince is 25 points cheaper. Legitimately might make in its list because of the artifacts and command traits that Demon Prince were able to take. Chaos Lord and Carcatract went down 20 points, probably still trash. Chaos Warriors went down 10 points. This is like a nothing burger, as all 10-point changes are. Uh, and then Chaos Knights went down 10 points. And while that's a nothing burger, again, these nothing burgers are making me hungry, yeah? The 10-point reduction, importantly... Uh, does mean that um, uh, one of the most popular Slaves to Darkness units, uh, a unit of 10 Chaos Nurgle Knights with the Eroding Banner, uh, I know it off by heart because I read it so much, has got 20 points cheaper, which is nuts. Chaos Chosen, I think I think Chaos Chosen are fine. They didn't really get any points changes either way. So this is kind of like a, this is like an, a weird, like one of the most popular, uh, take, one of the most popular and most taken units in Slaves to Darkness is 10 points cheaper. So, like, that's odd. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. I, I guess we can do... Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's the next one we're going to talk about is the Disciples of Zinch. They did have some points changes, specifically to all their characters. Cursling went up 20 points. The Fate Master went up 20 points. Flux Master, Magister, and the Magister on Disc of Zinch all went up 20 points. Why did they do this? Well, in Games Workshop stats, they think that the Disciples of Zinch is an army that's too strong. If Games Workshop was paying attention, they would see that the major problem with, uh, with the Disciples of Zinch is that their battle tactics and grand strategies that they use for their book are very auto-complete and easy to do. However, the main problem with Disciples of Zinch, if there even is one, because in my opinion there isn't, is the Incarnate of Gur. Zinch are one of the few armies that are able to kill their own caster. When you do take an Incarnate, you're able to bond it to a wizard, uh, or uh, bond it to a character, sorry. Um, but then when you do so, if that character dies, then the Incarnate goes wild. This means it automatically gets... Uh, automatically gets uh, plus one to hit, it also gets run and charge, and it has the ability to eat your own endless spells. So the major issue uh, the major issue with Zinch is nothing to do with these random characters that they decide to add some points onto, and is everything to do with the Incarnate, uh, which again is not really recognizing where the problem lies. Maybe being able to stop that interaction would be very useful, but with a new Incarnate on the way, probably around the summer, which is that unreleased book. They maybe didn't want to mess around with those rules in a book that they were about to release, which I guess makes some sense. Uh, so Zinch points up on characters, which for this edition can't be targeted, which is kind of okay. Um, but uh, in the next edition, you're going to feel that. Um, and that win rate that Games Workshop have them at isn't even accurate anyway. So are Disciples of Zinch one of the strongest armies in the game? Answer is no. Uh, and the points updates were like... I mean, a Magister went up 20 points compared to Sentinels. Make it make sense, though. Hexwraiths and Dreadside Harridans went up 10 points. There's no, there's nothing. This, mean, this means nothing. Okay. Time for the drama. 
okay? Gloomspite Gits book came out, and there was a lot of rhetoric online about Gloomspite Gits being too strong, being insane, and destroying the game we know and love. A lot of other, lot of other conversations about Gloomspite Gits being allowed to be good at um, where they are because they trailed at the bottom of the meta for over three years. Well, about three years, because that's when the book was released. So they very comfortably held up the rest of the game by having the lowest win rate for a very, very long time. They got a new book. They got new rules. It was very strong. How strong was it? According to our stats, uh, they had a 62% win rate with their very best build. With their very best build, which is fine. Like, it's too strong. It's worth... So that's with Jaws of Mork. It's worth talking about. Um, Gog's Mega Mob, straight down to 49%. So maybe need some points rearrangement there, and that's what Games Workshop decided to do with these points changes. Scragrot, who is a more effective character, caster, and unit in the game than Lord of Change at 400 points, is now plus 50 points. 160 to 210 plus 50 points. Still the most, still incredibly efficient, wildly efficient at 210 points. You would definitely take him, Takes lo brings loads of abilities into the army, isn't too taxing that it's a problem, but absolute bargain, massive bargain. Absolutely brilliant. Gits players will be high-fiving each other that it's only 210, uh, so no problem there. Squig Bosch and Nash's Squig. In competitive lists, you would normally see two of those, um, probably buffing up some of the other units around them. Uh, they went up from 100 to 120. So now if you keep track, we've added 90 points onto like more meta lists. Um, the Gobapalooza went up 15 points. You would normally see one of those. So now we're on 105 points on those lists. And then some Sneaky Snufflers, of which you would normally see maybe two lots of Sneaky Snufflers, have gone up 20 points. So uh, you've added like 145 points onto meta lists, which is a lot of points, uh, but it isn't the end of the world. And then finally, the Squig Herd got 10 points added on. And you would obviously see multiples of Squig Herd. Sometimes you would see um, a fully buffed up unit uh, of Squig Herd, maybe two multiple units. So again, if you're taking a fully buffed up unit, that's going to be another 30 points. Do it twice, that's another 60 points. So you're looking at nearly 200 points for some of those builds. Uh, they haven't addressed some of the other units. Like they haven't done Boingrot Bounders, which are just insane. They haven't... Um, they haven't addressed Boingrot Bounders, and they haven't addressed um, Squig Hoppers. And Squig Hoppers was something you saw um, uh, very, very effective as well. So yeah, on like maybe a very high-end meta list that wasn't using... Because some people, like, everything we just talked about gets added into a Gits list, and then Squig Herd get added in. But when Squig Herd added in, sometimes it's actually Hoppers instead. And when it's Hoppers instead, it probably moves on to Boingrot Bounders, uh, which makes them really strong. Um, do I think this is going to reduce the effectiveness of Jaws of Mork Army? Yes, uh, I absolutely do. Do I think it's going to be more effective than what they did to Loom Death? I also agree with that. Um, I think it's going to be more effective. The big change probably for these guys, though, is the 4-up rally being changed more significantly. As I talked about, it's more efficient and more effective on elite units, and these guys are cheap even though they are also very effective. So the rally being affected on those is a bigger deal than that. Which I like. So, how do I feel about the change? I feel like some elements of it were fair. Some elements of it were fair. Um, but the, the rally change is a weird one uh, for this army. But it's still very fast. It's still very mobile. It's still very aggressive. And that's just the squig builds. The spider build's fun. And the troll's uh, build is still very viable. So, I definitely don't think it's gone from like um, an S, which I don't think it was anyway. I think it was an A. 
um, an A to a B. I don't even know if it's done that. I think it's probably still around an A or a B as an army. So strong army, good army with some probably fair uh, nerfs. Okay, so that is the updates. There are a couple of nominal FAQs to some of the other factions, like Doors of Cain, Anoga Moor Tribes had kind of some updates, uh, but like they were just about like like their um, battle tactics and some other stuff. None of it was particularly uh, impacting. What do we think about the change to the meta? I already said this on the stat show on Monday, but we are in a Wild West meta. We've just had... I still feel like we're dealing with the Gits and Beast of Chaos book, still discovering combos and lists that work really well. We're also still uh, processing what's happened with Corn and Sinesh. KO, as we currently make this video, sat at a 63% win rate since their new book was released, which is pretty nutty. So they're very strong. Corn uh, and Sinesh are looking very good as well. And I'm about to review the Soul Black Grave Lords and OCR Bone Reapers book. Seven books. In under three months means the meta is wild anyway. So maybe that's why we've seen Games Workshop do quite a light touch uh, and not really addressing some things. Maybe the books that are out now are comparable to the books that have come out previously. They don't need to talk about it. But for me, and I don't want to be a downer because, again, I'll be really clear about this. I love this game. and I think the game is in an incredibly healthy place. I don't feel like I have to show you the graph again, but if you go and look at the TSN stats, the win rates for the armies are very, very broad, like they're very good, and we don't have many armies suffering or too good. So it's a very good, healthy meta where lots of different armies are winning all the time, which is awesome. So a great game, doing really well, and uh, that's fantastic. Loads of new books, loads of new builds, everything really exciting. The only negative, and you never meant to end on a negative, so I'll make this a shit sandwich positive negative, is that it really feels like some of the changes Games Workshop don't understand their own game system, or... If they do, and they're trying to achieve something different to what we see as a game, I'd really like them to put out why they change some of those elements. Like, not changing how Helon works, but adding 10 points to Sentinels doesn't really do what they think it needs to do. So I really hope that they watch this video and they try to understand their own game a little bit better, talk to the community more, interact a little bit more would be really positive. Because right now... Um, I would argue that no one's really going to... The update is kind of a bit of a nothing, but they've they've said, like, oh, we know Arcane Tomes there and, and Rally, so we can have a discussion about it, but not really the right one, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, but a year away from edition, minimal vile product produced by Games Workshop doesn't really mean they're ever going to do that. Positives, though, loads of cool new books, loads of cool new units, Cities of Sigmar on the way, new Seraphon on the way, so the game's in a really incredible place. So if you're thinking about getting into the game or getting back into the game, then I would say <laughs> yeah, transparency is cringe. I agree with the chat. So I would probably never, ever want to be transparent about it. So that's fair. Um, yeah, like if you do want to get into the game, I couldn't encourage you more. Events are really cool. Uh, there are so many new armies being played. Loads of people in the my community want you to come out and play games with them. So that's the positive message to take away. Because while this hasn't addressed issues that someone like me has been looking at a lot of the time, most of you probably don't spend most of your day all day thinking, talking, writing, and creating content about it. So it's probably not that important. That's not meant to, like, anyway, there we go. Hope you've enjoyed it. Comments, likes, and all those other things. Thanks to everyone on Twitch. Thanks to everyone on Patreon. Support the show. Love the show. Hope you're great. Have a great life. Carry on.